Would you turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2? And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home, that is, Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But, they were, but there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your pallet, and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority over on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet, went out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Anybody who has spent any time in Sunday school is familiar with this story. Etched on my boyhood memory is this picture that my Sunday school teacher would hold up as she taught this lesson of a roof, a hole in a roof, and men letting down on a pallet uh, a paralyzed man into the presence of Jesus. Who could ever forget a picture like that? Now there are so many themes in this um, miracle, this story, and so many directions to take. You might preach a sermon entitled, Everybody Needs to Hold Up His Corner, and talk about the fact that everybody needs to carry his weight and to fulfill his obligation. For if one of these men had not been faithful to do that, this paralyzed man would have never gotten to Jesus. Some of us, perhaps, are not holding up our corner. We want to let the preacher do it, or the deacons, or whatever. You know that story. John Killinger tells about a, a popular parish priest who had uh, decided to retire in this little community in France. And so the folks wanted to do something special for him, and they decided that they would ask everybody to bring a bottle of that person's favorite wine. Now, it may have to be soap in a Baptist you know, congregation, of course. <clears throat> but 
And they want to take all of this wine, this precious, you know, favorite bottle of wine each person brought, and pour it into a large keg and give it to the priest for him to enjoy in his retirement. And so the priest didn't want to do that. He said, no, no, I want to share this wonderful gift with everybody in the community. And so they brought the keg out in the center of the community and put a plug in it and turned the spigot and the only thing came out was water. Everybody thinking that it wouldn't matter if they didn't fulfill their part of the bargain, everybody else would. And the result was that nobody did. So you could kind of preach on that, I guess. You might talk about this, um, this wonderful event here that happened when God, you know, just um, ignored the program. Now, when they got to this house, they weren't handing out bulletins. And the bulletins read like this. After the second song and prayer, we're going to have a roof opening and somebody's going to let down a paralyzed man. Get ready for it. Don't you just love it when the Spirit of God ignores the program and just does something spontaneous like thunder about the time I got to the right part of the Scripture? I just love it when, when God does something spontaneous. It's not on the program, don't you? And I guess we could talk about this gracious God who gives us not necessarily what we want, or, but what we really need. For when they brought this man to the house, their expectation was that, he would, that Jesus would heal him. High expectation, just not high enough. For this gracious God knew that there was a greater need than physical healing there. And if he had only mediated the forgiveness of God and left this man a cripple, he still would have ministered to the greater need. Or we might talk about these men who did the difficult. I mean, to carry a man around on a pallet, climb up on top of the house with him, and take the roof off is not your Sunday stroll in the park. And we might talk about the fact that they did the unorthodox. Not all the time do you get sermons interrupted by roofs coming off. Might today, but you know, in a different, for a different reason. And they did the costly. Let me tell you something. Somebody's going to have to pay for this roof. We could go all through those themes, but there is a question here that Jesus asked that really intrigues me. Here's the question. Which is easier, to tell a crippled man, get up and walk, or forgive sins? For somebody needs to stress the difficulty of forgiving sin. I think we've come in a time, to a time of an easy gospel, where we just kind of say to folks, come on down everybody and get a pardon. And as though it were easy to do that. And somebody needs to stress the difficulty of forgiving sins. For in this question, Jesus at least implies that it is much easier to heal a man or meet any human need than it is to forgive someone their sins. I want to come to you this morning to talk about the, the difficulty of forgiving sin for us and for Him. 
Now that may seem outrageous. After all, Jesus had these wonderful things to say about forgiving others and demonstrated this remarkable forgiveness. And who could forget this Lord on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. And, and, and it may seem outrageous to say that, as, as, as Lucado says, to forgive sin is the hardest thing God ever did. And I want to stress this morning, again say it, the difficulty, the treacherous difficulty of forgiving both for God and for us. Now why was it so difficult for Jesus to forgive sin? Assuming that's a basic truthful premise, and I do. Well, in the first place, because He took sin seriously. He saw it for what it is. Now, it's easy to condone sin. It's easy to pass by it, to look over it. It's easy to condone sin. But when you take sin seriously and see it for what it is, it's hard to forgive. Now, that's true in the secular world. For example, here's a guy that is a connoisseur of great art masterpieces. He loves the arts, and he loves the masterpieces. He prizes them. He cherishes them. And one night, a vandal comes in to the museum and destroys some masterpieces worth the king's ransom. It's going to be pretty hard for him just to look past that and condone that. But if you've got a guy who doesn't know the difference between a masterpiece and a paint-by-numbers, between a tapestry and a cheesecloth, it's a little bit easier for that person to just kind of condone it. You see what I'm saying? It's true in the moral realm. Any night of the week, you can turn on television and see these comedians laughing and making fun of sex with all the jokes there's a new movie out, I saw it previewed, it's coming from Europe, that's a spoof on, a comedy on, on a rape scene. And it shows the rape scene, and the comedy that's going on takes place during the rape. I have a feeling that if somebody you know and love was brutalized like that, you would see nothing funny about it. As a matter of fact, I have a feeling that the kinfolks to Nicole Simpson sitting in that, that judge's chambers cannot find the humor in the jokes, O.J. Simpson jokes, that you and I like to tell. And there is an essential difference between two kinds of mothers. You've got one mother who has a deep moral uh, value, a moral sense, a sense of the seriousness of sense. And then you have a mother that has no deeply ground moral convictions. And when that mother's son becomes a prodigal, the mother just kind of laughs it off. You know, boys will be boys. I had a friend like that. His mother had no real moral depth. And so he, when he got into, he, he did stuff that guys do in high school. We won't go into the you know, brutal details. But when they, when they did, his mother just kind of laughed it off. And frankly, I resented my mother because she was so outraged at the things I did. And I was a perfect child. 
And, and she'd get, when i do something, she'd just get outraged at it. I thought she was a prude, old-fashioned, too strict. I almost, I must confess, bless her heart, I almost hated her for it. But I've come to understand now what was going on there. She had a deep moral conviction and a sense of the seriousness of sin and she bore the pain of what it was going to do to me on her heart. I tell you, it's not easy to forgive sin if you take it seriously. And who could forget that marvelous scene in Tennyson's of the King when Queen... Guinevere falls shamefully at the feet of Arthur in the, on the floor of the nunnery. She's betrayed their covenant of love. And he looks at her and he doesn't say something flippant about what she's done. What he does say, Tennyson has him say, is this, Think not, I have come to urge thy crimes, Guinevere. I did not come to curse thee. I whose vast pity almost makes me die to see thee lying there, thy golden head at my feet, my pride in happier summers. My doom is, I love thee still, but the past is past, and the sin is sinned, and I, oh, even I forgive as Almighty God forgives. And when you read that, you get an idea of somebody who understands what sin really is and it is hard to forgive it when you find it. Second, he found it difficult to forgive sin because he loved people so much. Now you say, well, that's a reason why he should feel good about forgiving because he loves us so much. Yeah, he misunderstood. Well, you see, when you and I sin, we hurt someone. That someone we hurt is someone Jesus loves deeply. Now, you can't sin without hurting somebody. Nobody sins to himself alone. So when we sin, our sin has a, an impact, a destructive impact on others that Jesus loves. Let me see if I can put it in illustration. Here are Joseph's brothers, and this guy going to run around with his coat of many colors, won't do any work because his daddy's partial to him, and they, they despise him. And so one day he comes out where they're, where they're working, and he tells them about this dream he has. He's Lord and all that stuff. And so they devise this plot. First, you know the story from childhood. They put him in a well, let him die there, and then they, a caravan of folks coming through the country comes by, and they say, well, we just might as well make a little money off of him. So they haul him out of the well and sell him into slavery. And then they take his coat of many colors, would put animal blood on it, and take it to the father. And the father looks at it and weeps, and he only goes through that. Now let's suppose, you know how the story goes, the rest of the story, but let's do a hypothetical part of it. Let's suppose that these brothers one day get to talking and they say, hey, we did a terrible thing. We need, to, we need to fess up. We need to face the music. And so they go into their father and they say to their father, Dad, we told a lie. We sold our brother into slavery and we want you to forgive us. And the father says, Where's Joseph? What's happened to my boy? 
For you want me to forgive you, but your sin is not just between you and me. Your sin is between you and your brother. Where's your brother? Where's my son I love? Is he off down in some far country in, in, in terrible slavery? I need to know about Joseph before we can get into this forgiveness business. And you see that theme running through the New Testament. You say, well, Jesus is pretty rough on the scribes and the Pharisees. He sure was. And you say, well, why was he so rough on them? Well, there's a kind of a clue in one of the statements Jesus made. Watch this. He says, beware of the scribes because they devour widows' houses. You know why he was so rough on them? It's because he had this deep feeling of empathy and sympathy and identification with the widows. His mother was one. And he, got, he came down, he got into the face of the priest and the Levites and he was pretty tough on them. They just passed right by a suffering man lying on the side of the... to do their religious duties. He, he, he was rough on them because he was thinking about the poor man. And after Jesus put down those little children he had playing in his arms, he turned to the folks around him and said, anybody who causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him you put a rock around his neck and throw him in the river. Let me tell you how hard it is for Jesus to forgive because he loves people that you and I hurt. One last thought, please. He found it difficult to forgive because of the terrific experience the forgiven goes through. Now watch this. When you have sinned against someone and become estranged from that someone, and you feel ashamed one day of it, and you're restored, re reinstated, received, forgiven, and trusted. I tell you, it's the most humiliating experience you'll ever go through. You understand what I'm saying? To be forgiven by somebody is the most humiliating experience you'll ever encounter. Let's go back to Joseph's brothers. When they finally were reunited with their brother, in jo Joseph, in, in Egypt, they were in this room with him, and now he's Potiphar's right-hand man. Let me tell you what they experienced. They didn't just experience fear, because Joseph immediately, on upon identification, said, Don't worry about it. What happened to you? God intended for it. What happened to me? God intended but what they experienced was this humiliation of being forgiven. If there's any other way around it, if there's any other way to get by it, we'll look for it, we'll find it. For forgiveness does one thing. Forgiveness doesn't put away the fact of sin. The prodigal sinned, and that's a fact. It doesn't remove the memory of sin. That was a memory the prodigal would have for the rest of his life. 
that he broke his father's heart and went sallying off out to a far country and ruined everything, it doesn't remove the consequences entirely of sin because the prodigal son would bear the scars of the far country both physically and psychologically till his, to his grave. What it does is forgiveness reinstates the old personal relationship that had been lost. And that is the most humiliating, devastating thing you'll ever go through. And so we're called to a cross. And we stand there, unable to lift our heads. And in the agony and shame, we stand there. And finally, we hear this cry, Father, forgive them. And we look up to see this man on the center cross and the love he has and the agony he endures. And this is what we're saying to ourselves. I put him there. It was my sin that pierced his hands. It was my sin that put a crown of thorns on his brow. I thrust the sword into his side. And that is humiliating, devastating. But the only way you and I will ever experience forgiveness you remember the scarlet letter? Teachers teach, make, you, make you read that in high school. Y'all get that in high school? This is, yeah, scarlet. The woman, what was her name? What was her name? Hester? She had to wear the scarlet letter A. The preacher, Arthur Dimsdale. Arthur didn't have to. But he had this secret and unconfessed sin he carried around with him. Somebody said, you carry a secret around with you and you're, you've sentenced yourself to a dungeon. And he did. He thought, how am I going to get relief from this? I, I'm a preacher, so I'll preach more sermons. Didn't do the job. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm intelligent, so I'll think more. He, put, he absorbed his... His mind he became absorbed in thought and reading. Didn't help. I'll, I'm a servant, so I'll go house to house helping people. Didn't help. Only solution was to go through the humiliation of coming forward to say, I have sinned. Like Luther in the monastery crying, Oh, my sin, my sin. It is tough, but it's the only way. Repentance and confession is the only way to be forgiven. Now, let me hurry to say, it's the only way you and I will ever experience the forgiveness of others, or forgive. Um, Charles Allen says that, that sin is like a knot you can't untie. And he tells about the time his little boy got to messing around with his shoestring, got a knot in it. He got the knot tied. But he could, his hands, little hands were too weak to untie the knot. So Charles Allen says that 
that we get into these real broken relationships and we, we have this problem with others and we want to forgive, but we can't. And we want to, go, we want to be forgiven, but we can't go through the process. It's like a knot that we can't untie. Now the solution to that is, is to bring that to the Lord. The key essence of this story is faith. Faith enabled this man to walk. Faith enabled him to experience forgiveness. And if we amplified that or, or extended that, it is only by trusting the Lord with our unforgiveness that he is able to move in and to bring about that process, the conclusion of that process that enables us to forgive others. You understand what I'm saying? And you better hurry, time's running out. Um, did I tell you this? Probably did. I don't know anything I haven't told you already. <laughs> I'm scratching for something. In Guidepost Magazine, there's this guy, this lady by the name of Sue, a nurse, told this story. True story. She, there was a man in room 712, had a heart attack. Everything seemed to be going fine. She went into the room, and when she started to leave after giving him his, you know, his checking on him and everything, he said, he got kind of, uh, you know, hysterical. He said, um, you know, um, I need you to call my daughter. Call my daughter. Gave her a phone number. And, and, and he was, you know, holding on to some bed sheet like he was, you know, frantic. And she said, well, okay, I'll go call her. And he said, here, do you have a piece of paper? And so she reached in her, her, uh, her uh, nurse's uniform, found a little piece of crumpled yellow piece of paper and handed it to him and a pen. And she went out to call the daughter. She called the daughter and, and, and said, uh, there's some distress going on with your father and he's, he wanted me to call you. She said, oh, my God, and she began to cry. She was hysterical. She said, please don't let him die. Please don't let him die. She said, a year ago, my father and I had a quarrel, and I went out the door, slammed the door, and said, I hate you. I haven't talked to him since. Please don't let him die. I want to get there and, and get that right before he dies. And so she hung up, and the nurse knew she was on her way. She decided she would go back into the room just to check on 712 again. She went in there. He was lying there, and, and, and he was dead. And she, she went over to give him, um, you know, the emergency care until she could get cold blue and get people in the room, but he was already dead. And just about that time that they pulled the sheet up over his face, this daughter arrived. And the nurse could hear, hear her talking to his doctor out in the hall. She was hysterical and screaming, etc., crying. And the nurse noticed that little yellow piece of paper. And she picked it up and read it. That's what it said. Honey, I love you. I forgive you. I hope you forgive me. I know you don't hate problem with it is is that one person experienced forgiveness the other did not you're running out of time 
and the miracle of forgiveness and forgiving can occur at the feet of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that what you want to happen in our heart and life today could happen here today. For I ask in Jesus' name, pray it for his sake. Amen. Look here. I want to invite you to come this morning. Those of you who have never professed your faith in Jesus Christ. Now the miracle can occur. You can be responsible for his death, sinless Son of God, and he'll forgive you if you come and confess your rebellion, your sin, your need. Maybe you need to come this morning because you're already a Christian, but there is an attitude, a spirit of rebellion and, and resentment that's been going on for so long. The same faith that allows you to be forgiven allows you to forgive. And the same faith that affects forgiveness from God to you affects the forgiveness you to others. So I invite you to come while we stand to sing.